Last night, this is the truth, not, a, not just a story, I, I woke up in the middle of the night. And when I wake up in the middle of the night, wheels start to turn in my head. And it's like once that gets going, there's no going back to sleep. Anybody else do that? Thank you. You need to go tell my wife, hey, he's normal, okay? Or at least we're all normal, right? Those of us who do that. Once I'm up, it's like, hey, let's get up. We've got to talk. I mean, I'm thinking here. And there was something in particular kind of burdening my heart to think about. Not a crisis or anything like that. Just something where I really wanted to know the answer to the question. What does God want in this particular situation? And of course, I wake my wife up to have this discussion with me at 3 a.m. or whatever time it was. And we started talking about you know, the, the, the specific decision, which is, is not a huge thing in the grand scheme of things. But it was something that I just started thinking about. What does God want? What does God want? And I thought, interestingly, that I, I'm starting the series tomorrow called... What does God want? And I thought, I'm just going to share with everybody that I only had two and a half hours of sleep, and hey, let's see what happens. So it's good to know that some of you can relate to waking up or just even going through your day thinking, what does God want? Has anybody besides me asked that question in their life? That's a legitimate question. That's a question that I think God expects us to ask. I remember my life before I knew who Jesus was. And I asked the question then, what does God want? And I couldn't find the answer because being a follower of Christ, based on my experience, meant one of two things. One, you were a hypocrite because everybody I knew that followed Christ... In my of my peers, they were a hypocrite. They acted like something that they weren't. Two, they went to this boring place on Sunday morning called church. And I thought, okay, I'm I'm not in on this God thing. If that's if it means being a hypocrite, being this dry, boring, judgmental person, and being forced to go to this place that smells musty and does things that I have no clue what they're doing or language I don't even understand, I'm out. You know, I was created different than these people. And I can remember at a young age asking, what does God want? And I was well into my 20s before I really found out what God wanted because I got around a group of people who really knew who Jesus was and they answered that question for me. You know, it's not a new question to ask, what does God want? And when we decided to do this series and, and title it, What Does God Want? And we knew the scriptures we were going to use already for it. We're going to have a website in a few weeks called whatdoesgodwant.com. We'll let you know when that's out there. It helps answer some of the questions that we have about just what God wants in our life. But we're not, new, we're not unique in our age to be asking that question because it's been asked for as long as mankind has breathed air. What does God want? And a fast forward to the story is, if you look at history, people asked and asked and asked, and then Jesus Christ came on the scene, and he revealed to humans what he wanted, what God wanted. And if you look at 
the whole body of Jesus' teaching, it's all about telling people what God wants. Everything he said. And specifically for this series, we're going to look at a very specific body of teaching in the New Testament called the Sermon on the Mount. That's what people called it later. Jesus didn't say, I'm now giving the Sermon on the Mount. Take notes. It wasn't like that. It was just what you know, translators, theologians, they started to call it because Jesus obviously was standing on an elevated place when he gave it. And wherever these collections of sayings that occur in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now, by the way. If you don't have one, raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those that's yours to keep. That Bible does reveal to us what God wants. It can be an intimidating book to pick up, and that's why we meet here every week and say, get a Bible, and we're going to help bring meaning to it so you can connect with God in a whole new way. So take one of those, take it home with you, that's yours to keep. Jesus is talking to a group of people in the book of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5, and he's revealing to them what God wanted because they were wrong. They had gotten it all wrong when it comes to what God wants. They thought God wanted this perfect, obedient, in perfect obedience lifestyle to, to rules. Obey all the right religious rules and you'll be okay. And Jesus comes on the scene and turns that upside down and, and starts to communicate to people, it's about what's inside. And he wants to start taking care of people from the inside out and he's revealing to us what inside living is all about. And so he begins to deliver in this poetic form sayings and messages that reveal to his hearers then and to us now what God wants from our life. When you find out what God wants, you're different. And Jesus is trying to say this is what God wants. So in Matthew chapter 5, when you open up to your Bibles and you start to read, you start to read about this group of sayings called the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Depending on the translation, it might say, Happy are those who are poor in spirit, because they will inherit God's kingdom. And he goes on to mention different other types of people. And Jesus is not saying... Go be those kinds of people. He's saying these are the kind of people you can look at and you can see a peace and a contentment in them that you can't see anywhere else. So he's trying to say there's something that comes from within from people who are poor in spirit that connects them with the kingdom of God. And he goes through and talks about people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Just read the Beatitudes and Jesus is saying look at those kind of people. Look at them and look at what is available to them. We're not going to go through each of the Beatitudes, but really what this whole body of teaching is about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is revealed in, in chapter 7 at the very end. This is important to get. This is what the last message in this series will be about. So I'm going to reveal that now, but you've got to know that all this teaching, this is how important Jesus says it is. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So listening to what Jesus says throughout this series is going to be building a very strong foundation. And just like building a house on a rock makes the, rock, makes the house stronger, your faith will be stronger if you build it on the words of Christ as he reveals what God wants. 
He calls you wise if you do that. If you don't do that, he compares you to this. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. A house built on the sand is not going to stand. And a faith built on something light and fluffy is not going to get you through life. A faith built on showing up at church and singing some cool songs and laughing a little bit is not going to get you through life. It's got to get more deep. It's got to get down inside you and change you. That's what this entire series is about. Because that's what God wants us to do is build on a solid foundation. So the first teaching we're going to examine that Jesus said is in Matthew chapter 5, right after he goes through what I just called the Beatitudes, beginning at verse 13, he says, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So Jesus is comparing his followers to salt. He's not saying, go try to be like salt. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. He's making a statement about what his followers already are. Why would Jesus choose salt? I mean, why not like chocolate ice cream or I don't know, something? This is a little bit more exciting than salt because salt is just this very cheap, 65 cents on sale at Kroger. Just regular, plain salt. Why would he choose salt? I mean, salt, is, it's, it's kind of nasty by itself. I mean, I, I'm going to do this again. I did it for everybody first service, and they laughed. So, not as much. How about a little less? There we go. Oh, isn't that? Ugh. Anybody want, want some salt? It's terrible. Just to put it in your mouth and... It just doesn't taste it. So what's Jesus talking about? If he's talking about us being salt, what does that mean? It has to do with this formula here. You write that down. I'm going to tell you what those letters mean in just a minute. DC plus CP equals MI. See, Jesus is not saying go try your best. He's saying you are already salt. See, he's setting these religious leaders up that he's talking to because... And then I'm going to talk about how salt creates thirst. And it does. He's setting these religious leaders up because they had a problem. They had their own little religious world that they lived in. And he's trying to say, stop being just all by yourself. This needs to be something that's not just for you in this little cocoon of your religion. He says the same thing to us today. You know, you can grow up in our country and be totally Christianized. You can be born to a Christian family who takes you to a Christian church, who sends you to a Christian school, who sends you to a Christian college. You meet a Christian mate. You can get a Christian job. You can even, you can even eat Christian fast food today at Chick-fil-A, right? And you can be totally in this cocoon of Christianity and not ever know what the world is all about. That's what people were doing in the first century. It was all encased in their little cocoon. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, you are the salt of the earth. You need to influence other people. And there's the first key that he's, why he's using salt as a metaphor. See, salt is a preservative. 
they didn't have refrigeration then. So when they hear talking about salt, they're kind of, Jesus is talking about our major preservative. It would have been like their refrigerator. So that's what they did when they had meat to preserve. They covered it in salt. The closest thing you can find today preserved by salt, that's meat and, and just nasty if you, if you eat it. Anybody want this, you can have it after the service. Uh, this is beef jerky, and there's two servings in here. And each serving has um, 1,470 milligrams of salt. That is 61% of your daily serving of salt in one little half-inch wide strip of cow skin. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it or whatever. Uh, this is the jumbo two ounce. So if you're eating this, you know, you're taking in a lot of salt. We could bury this in the ground and we're all dead and gone. The next generation digs it up. They could still eat it. Uh, it's probably that well-preserved. Salt is a great preservative. So they would have been thinking, okay, salt's a preservative. How, how does that relate to us? You know what else salt does? Salt brings flavor. So maybe that's why Jesus used salt. Salt brings flavor. This is one of my favorite snacks, rolled gold pretzels. There's no other brand. This is my favorite brand too. I don't like the other ones. And you're thinking, his poor wife, his poor wife. This, it brings a lot of flavor. I really like pretzels. Anytime I have a sandwich or something like that, pretzels are, are awesome. They're just a little snack. They're loaded with salt. Have you ever had an unsalted saltine? Almost like why? It's like air and dough. I don't know. No salt on. That's about the same thing. Uh, uh, that's the same thing a pretzel is. Just no salted pretzels. It's an oxymoron. I mean, pretzels and salt—they go together. When you consume salt, not only is it a preservative, does it bring flavor? Salt causes thirst. When you eat something salty, you need to drink because you feel a little parched. So Jesus is saying, you compare to that, or that's what you are. So for some reason, he chose to say, you're the salt of the earth. What he's saying is, what God wants from me is for me to bring flavor to those around me. Followers of Christ bring flavor to those around them. Just like you can take plain old vanilla ice cream, insert some chocolate in that. Mm -mm. It brings flavor to it. It gets better. You can go and get tons of different flavors that have been brought into the ice cream and it makes it better. And what he's saying is, you followers of God, you need to bring a little bit of spice to the world. You need to bring some flavor. Not the kind of flavor that says, oh no, here she comes. Oh my goodness. Not bitter flavor. The same way salt enhances flavor in the pretzels and in, in, in chips and salsa and all that stuff. He's saying you bring that kind of flavor to those around you. It's interesting when Jesus is talking about bringing flavor. In a minute he's going to talk about we do that so people can see our deeds and glorify God in heaven. So there's something very important to remember. When I bring flavor... I don't get the credit. I mean, how many times have you picked up something that's salty and you've taken a bite of it and it's like, man, that's good salt. That is good salt. Come and ha- I, got, I got some salt that's on pretzels down here and it's awesome salt. Nobody goes shopping and say, where's the best salt? Salt just brings flavor and fades into the background. 
And that's what Jesus is asking us to do as his followers. Just bring flavor to the world. It doesn't matter if you make a name for yourself. It doesn't matter if people know who you are. That life point, we're about helping people connect with God. And as long as people are doing that, I, I don't care if people know my name. If people say, Donnie who? Well, I care little. I've got to be honest. But it doesn't drive me. That's, what not, that's not what drives me to do what I do. Sometimes when we ask people about how they got to know Christ as part of our church, they start to talk about life point, life point, life point. And while we love it that people love our church, our church is not the point. God is. And I've actually had to coach people when we're videoing them, hey, just focus on God, not, not so much on the church. Focus on what God has done in your life. Focus on Him because we just want to fade into the background. We just want to point you to God. We want to provide that flavor and we just want to fade into the background. You need to ask yourself the question, what flavor do I bring to those around me? Do I spice it up or make it bitter? And what Jesus is saying is don't be dull, inactive followers. God wants me also, He's using salt because He wants me to cause people to wonder. He wants me to Make people a little thirsty. You ever been around somebody that you're just intrigued by what they have and they're by, by their personality or by their ability to cope with things or the way they handle stuff in life and you think, I want that? Anybody ever met someone like that? I've got a friend, his name is Earl Williams, and Earl is this amazing man, probably in his 70s, and he, he just has something that I would love to have and I hope I have it. He is 100% living in the moment every single day. And if you know me, you're like, okay, well, what don't you have? But he's like 100%. 100% living in the moment. He's, he's perfectly content. You could go up and say nasty things to him, and he'd go, okay. It would not bother him. He's totally secure in just his relationship with Christ, and I don't know if his feelings can be hurt. Because if you go up and you say, Earl, that was stupid, he'll go, man, it was stupid, wasn't it? Other than me being totally incompetent, I don't know why I said that or did that. I mean, he just, I think I want to be like him. He creates thirst of people when people are around him. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to do, is create some thirst. When I first got around people who followed Christ, and I saw they had something, I remember thinking, I want that. And you've probably gone up to people, or had people come up to you and say, how can I get what you have? God wants me to make people ask for more. Jesus goes on to say, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. How can salt, how could this be less salty? How could you pick this up one day? It doesn't, it doesn't have an expiration date on it. So how could you pick this up and go, it's not salty anymore? How is that possible? What's Jesus talking about? Well, the people he was talking to in the first century, they didn't have Morton salt refinery. They, they weren't able to do that. They go to the Dead Sea and get their salt. It's got impurities in it. And salt, being the most soluble compound that was together, it would go away. And they would be left with this white powder that looked like salt, but then they get it and they sprinkle it over their food, and they're like, oh man, it tastes like grit. And there's no salt in it, but it looked like salt. And he's saying salt loses its saltiness sometimes, and they know what he's talking about. Because they've got a, somewhere they've got a bag of white powder that's no longer salt and all the salt is washed out of it and it's gone but it looks like salt so what they do they take it and put it on their roads to keep their roads in good shape so they would have said oh yeah i know what he's talking about so when salt loses saltiness it's only good to be put out 
in the road. And what he's trying to say to us today through that is if your faith is not influential on those around you, then what good is it? What good's your faith if it just brings you to church on Sunday morning? Faith is meant to be influential on the people around you. So when he tells us you're the salt, he's saying bring some flavor to other people's lives. He's saying make people wonder and ask questions. And then he, then he uses something else to describe us, another metaphor. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp and get a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt brings flavor. Light gives direction. And he's saying, you are light. See, Jesus was probably, when he was teaching, he was probably in an area where there were, there were little towns and cities around. And, and the most strategic place for a city to be placed was where? On a hill. So when he's saying, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill can't be hidden, you could see him pointing maybe to a hill and say, a city on a hill can't be hidden. You, you can see it. Cities were also put on a hill so it would be easy to find your way home if you were out. And it got dark, you know, you didn't have a battery-operated flashlight or, you know, the, the, the uh, flashlight app on your iPhone. You couldn't do that. You had to look around for bearings and direction. You would see the lights on the hill, and you would know that's the way home. And Jesus is saying that's what you need to be for people. You need to illuminate the way home for people. You need to be the light that's on the hill so when people want to get towards God, they know that person knows who God is. And he goes on to say, Look, when you let your light shine, it's going to bring glory to God in heaven. Not to you, but to God in heaven. But be that city on the hill that provides illumination for the way home for people. So Jesus says, God wants me to guide people towards him. See, the purpose of my faith is not just to make my life better. It's to make other people's lives better too. Interesting thing about light. I got all the props today. It's like propped out today, isn't it? Interesting thing about light. It only shines in the darkness. It Oh, cool. Nice cue. Way to go. If we could totally black out this room, you would only see this light because it would be the light in the darkness. You can turn the lights back on. Light doesn't give much light on light. Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying, be this, shine your light. And to shine your light, you can't do that just in the light. You got to go to the, you got to get in the darkness, which means you got to have some influence. You got to, you got to go where it's dark and illuminate the way to God for people who are living in darkness. You know, one day I was living in darkness and somebody was this for me. One day you were living in darkness and somebody carried light into your life and you knew the way home then. You knew the way to a relationship with God because somebody was serious about what Jesus said when he said, let your light shine before people. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking about this when he's talking to Peter about the church. And he says in verse 18, I tell you that you're Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And for a long time, the picture of that for me was that we were building this 
thing called the church, and, and there were gates, and we were against the gates as great soldiers for God holding out the darkness. And like, come on, we need more people. We've got to hold out the darkness. Come on. And Jesus' picture, if you look at all the original language, is more of an offensive position that runs to the gates of hell to knock them down, to take light into the darkness. Not the other way around, like, oh, we're going to hold up, we're going to hold it up. We're going to stay in our little Christian cocoon our whole life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, storm the gates of hell with your light. So God wants me to take my light into the darkness. And if you know Christ, it's because someone took their light into the darkness and illuminated the way for you to move towards God. So what does, what's this little formula mean? Well, if you wrote this down, DC, Jesus is asking us to have some deep convictions about this. He really is. He's saying, you need to be convicted on the inside. You need to be salt. You need to be light. You need to bring flavor and guide people towards me. And be convicted about that. It's not just something on the outside. This is your life. Your faith is your faith because God put it in you so you can help other people get to him. So have a conviction about that. Then he says, go to the darkness. Have some close proximity like Jesus did to people who live in darkness. If you only live in the light, how's that ever going to help anybody that's in the dark? And he says, when you have close proximity. Now, I'm not saying go, guys go home and say, honey, I'm going to go shine my light tonight. Go into the darkness. Just want you to know. Preacher said I could. Go into the darkness. Don't be influenced by it. Don't participate in it. You go influence the darkness and storm the gates of hell where the darkness is. But you do it with the light that God's put in your heart. You don't just do it just to go say, hey, it looks fun over there, so I'll go shine my light. Jesus says, God expects us to shine our light before other people. So deep convictions plus close proximity to people. I mean, I, I have one of those I guess you would have to call Christian jobs. You know what I do? I'm around people who know Christ most of the time. And I have to work hard to make sure I'm around people who don't. I'm sure everybody on the staff knows Jesus. I'm positive of that one. Most of the time. I know they do. But I have to consciously think, just because I'm a pastor, doesn't mean I don't have to carry my light into the darkness. Just because I get to get up and talk and there could be people in darkness sitting here today, I need to do more. I need to do exactly what I'm asking you to do and telling you that Jesus challenges us all to do, and that's go into the darkness and shine our light and illuminate our way. And Jesus says when you do that, when you have that close proximity, you're going to have the maximum impact because what God wants from us, according to this section of Scripture, God wants me to have maximum impact on those around me. And when I do that, people will start connecting with God like I've never seen before. When you help someone else connect with God, it's, it's a faith high like you've never felt other than the time you finally gave your life to Christ when you help somebody else do it and you see it. And I remember the first time in college when I helped somebody come to a relationship with Christ and confess Him and live for Him. I was like, this, I love that. I want to do that again. And so I got in close proximity with people who needed the impact of Christ in their life. Now, I might share all that with you today, and you're going, how do I do that? What happens? I'm going to challenge you over the next six weeks during this series to do two things. Invest in people and invite them to church. 
Tell them we're in a series that says, hey, you want, you want to know what God wants? You need to come and hear what our pastors are talking about. You need to come and hear how you can connect with God. You need to come and hear what God wants out of your life. Because that's what they're... T- you just invest in people and you invite them here and we will help you teach them. We will help teach and reveal what God wants. Now don't go say, hey, my pastor said i got to invest and invite you, so you want to come to church Sunday? You know, that's not... You know, that's, if it works, I'm fine with it, but it's probably not going to work. Invest in somebody, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. Invest in them and invite. And if you do that, and I know many of you that do, the, the church, the world, your life, their life will change. So throughout this series, bring some flavor to someone's life, illuminate the way to God, invest and invite, because God wants me to have maximum impact on those around me. Let's pray. God, in this section of Scripture, we're so encouraged and convicted to be exactly what you've called us to be. Heavenly Father, we ask that you give us an opportunity this week to invest in someone else and invite them to hear your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.